What's up, Overcomers? Welcome to another episode of the Overcoming You podcast. I'm your host, Josh Canuti. We appreciate you so much for taking the time to tune in into this episode. This episode is sponsored by Onnit. Listen, in times right now, in times like these, we have got to protect our mental and our physical health. If you are feeling down, if you are feeling depressed, if you're having anxiety, Onnit has some great supplements, some great products for you to try. You can try New Mood. It's a mood stabilizer. If you're having trouble focusing on your at-home work because you haven't really had to work from home very much, and now this is a new thing for you, they have Alpha Brain. It helps you with memory and focus. At the very, very minimum, you got to take some supplements and get some vitamins in you because I know most of us aren't eating as healthy. Hopefully by now we've gotten into a good regimen, a good schedule. We're eating healthier. We're figuring out our at-home gym. We're doing plyometrics, whatever it is, but we have to protect our mental and physical health. And at the very least, we need some vitamins. We need some supplements. And if you go over to onnit.com slash O-C-Y, you can save up to 10% on your order. That's onnit.com slash O-C-Y. O-N-N-I-T dot com slash O-C-Y. Save up to 10% on your order. My guest today is Lauren McGoodwin. She was such a pleasure to talk to and her knowledge and expertise are so vital for the vast majority of the people going through this pandemic right now. So many of us are on furlough. So many of us have lost a job. So many of us have been let go, fired. We don't know what we're going to do, how we're going to do it. What should we do to be preparing to get a job? What can we do now so when this thing does turn around or get better or semi go back to regular life, you know, we'll be in a good spot to take advantage and get the best job available. Lauren McGoodwin, she's the CEO and founder of Career Contessa. She's been a recruiter at Hulu. She's got an amazing book out titled Power Moves. It teaches you how to pivot, reboot, and build a career of purpose. But on this podcast, if you are an employee that got let go and you're looking to get another job or worried about it or trying to figure out what you can do now to prepare for that, this is the podcast for you. We go through the mental side of it. We go through the emotional side of it, but we go through tactical steps. And when I say we, I mean, Lauren goes through some amazing tactical steps on what you should do for a resume right now. Like I said, she was a recruiter in her past life and worked for Hulu. She's seen probably tens of thousands of resumes and she'll let you know how to get right to the top. And you can do that right now because you're quarantined at home. So might as well make the best use of your time. And then she also talks about a super underutilized website right now or an app, LinkedIn. Everybody's heard of it, but very few people take advantage of it. It is growing leaps and bounds. You hear all the top professionals talk about that. It still has an organic reach. And she tells you and walks you through step-by-step on how to put your LinkedIn profile above the rest. So when this thing does happen, you are in the position and you are on top of the pile because right now you need to separate yourself from the masses because this is a employer time, not an employee Meaning, unfortunately, but the truth is the truth. Unfortunately, so many people are out of work. So many people are looking for a job or going to be looking for a job that the employer has the pick of the litter. They have so many applicants that they don't know what to do with. And the only way to get on top of that pile is to listen to this podcast, go to Career Contessa, check out our book, but listen to these steps, these tactical steps that she lays out and that you can implement right now while you're at home, while you're sitting there in front of the computer. Turn off Netflix for just 30 minutes and do some of these things. 
it will put you in the best position to get that job once this whole thing goes back to normal or right now as you are looking for jobs right now. So please welcome the super smart, super intelligent, very sharp, and her energy is so awesome throughout this. Please welcome my awesome guest, Lauren McGoodwin. Lauren McGoodwin, thank you for coming on the Overcoming You podcast. It's a interesting time to say the least. So thanks for taking the time out and um, your busy schedule or wide open schedule, however you are <laughs> currently going through it. Uh, but really, I do appreciate you taking the time to come on the Overcoming You podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I think you have so many arrows in your quiver. I could just start rapid firing a whole bunch of questions at you because I think you have so many different things that you have your hand in. You know, you're an author, you're a CEO of a company, you have a podcast, um, you do blogs, you you slice, you dice, you pretty much do everything. <laughs> but just a quick little high level overview, kind of, can you let the listeners know for who aren't familiar with who you are and kind of what you do? Just let everybody know, know that. Yeah, so um, I think in the most simple forms, I'm the founder and CEO of Career Contessa. Career Contessa is the largest online career resource for women. I am really obsessed with helping people figure out all the career stuff. Uh, I want people to be fulfilled in their careers. I know what it's like to show up to a job you hate and you're miserable every day. And I know what it's like to show up to a job that you love. And so I really wanted to provide, and I had been a recruiter before, so I had been on both sides of the hiring table. And so I really was like, there needs to be a resource that exists that tells people what it's really like to work in the workplace or what it's really like to get a job. Um, this shouldn't be so difficult to get. And I really, I started there and then it's just kind of grown over time into what resources people need. Yeah. And I think I want, we'll go into a little bit later in the podcast, but I think it's going to be really valuable because there's a lot of uncertainty to kind of discuss in that. And so I think we'll talk about that a little bit later in the podcast, but because of the uncertainty of what's going on, I think you're going to be able to shed some real big value on that. But before we even get into kind of those nuts and bolts, you know, you said something the other day on one of your webinars that it was, I connected with so intensely and so profoundly. So if someone looks at you from the outside, all they see, they see this go-getter, they see a CEO of a company, they see a host of an amazing podcast. Uh, you have a web webinar series, you have a blog, you have a brand new book coming out, you're an author. So you're very, um, I kind of put you in that category with like Mary Barra. And for those of you who don't know, <laughs> Mary, <take> it. <laughs> Mary Barra is the CEO of GM and the first female CEO of a major car company. So I kind of put you in that category. So if there ever was a quintessential picture, perfect picture of a go-getter, it would be you. But you said <laughs> something really, really valuable that before anything, you have to get a hold of your mental and emotional health. Can you mm -hmm. talk a little bit about kind of what you mean and how do you do that? Or, so, or what are some ways that you would tell somebody how to do that? Yeah, um, this is a really important lesson I actually learned probably from my mom growing up. We were allowed to take mental health days when I was growing up, which meant you just didn't feel like doing it today, going to school, going to 
activities, whatever it was. Um, and I think that was sort of the beginning of this whole idea of like self-care before self-care was a buzzword, which is there are times where you have to listen to your body and just say, Hey, I need a day off. Um, but more importantly, when I was talking about mental and emotional health, usually what I'm talking about is that if you don't take care of yourself first, you can't bring your best self to whatever it is that you're doing. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's your creative work. Maybe it's your decision-making process, right? Maybe your reaction to something, um, because you haven't had enough sleep the night before, isn't going to be what you want it to be. And so I think oftentimes people are so, um, especially overachievers and high achievers, they love goals. They love making goals and setting goals and achieving, achieving, achieving. The problem is, is that there's an emptiness inside if they have not been able to take care of their mental, emotional, and physical health along the way. And that is usually the thing that people let go of, uh, because it's not as much of the external stuff, like the job title is external, the car you drive is external, but you know, your mental and emotional health, it's, it's only really mostly known to you at the time. Yeah. Yeah. There, when I was kind of thinking about this topic or wanted to talk to you, I was thinking about this, uh, Abraham Lincoln quote that has so many parallels. He goes, if you give me six hours to chop down a tree, I'm going to spend four hours sharpening the ax. And I think before you figure out what your next step is in life or work or business or after this pandemic or whatever, you got to sharpen that ax. And I think sharpening that ax is that mental and emotional health, because I couldn't agree with you more. If you're not a first class you, you're going to be a second class business person, a second class significant other, a second class citizen. Mm -hmm. And so how are you maybe in this time or before, how have you worked or what are some actual tips and things that you've done to increase or improve your mental health or or emotional health? Yeah. So for me, mental health really comes from, I'm pretty, I'm pretty intense with my rituals. So I've got like a morning routine and I've got a nightly routine and those really help kind of mentally prepare me for whatever I'm going into. But also, you know, the whole point about a ritual is that it doesn't have to necessarily make sense, but it's almost like a reward system kind of gearing you up for the thing that you need to do. So for me, um, I know that if I take, get up in the morning, um, at a certain time, it's really important for me to set my alarm. I get up, I go for a walk for an hour. I usually listen to a podcast or a a book on tape before I do anything, before I check my phone, before I do anything, I come back. I, while I'm making my coffee, I usually will review the, the, my to-do list that I made the night before and kind of mentally prepare myself. When I actually do come into my office to work, I will light a candle. I will kind of prepare. And this is all like ritualistic behavior, but Mentally, it helps me prepare and calm and and be focused on what I want to do. I think the walk is really good for emotional health. I think um, that you have to understand what you need. Um, Some of us for our emotional health, that might mean you know, going to therapy once a week. Maybe it means, uh, you know, having an animal in your house. You know, everybody has that thing. I think um, ultimately at the end of the day, I think sleep is really important. Mm -hmm. It's something most of us are not getting enough of. So creating, you know, a nighttime routine to help yourself. Um, When I was researching my book, I learned a lot about, um, the, the vagus nerve, which is kind of that fight or flight and how you can actually calm that down. So I think there's a couple of things people can do is create these rituals or routines that really help you get in that mindset, but then also have some tools in your toolbox to help you calm yourself if you are feeling 
anxiety or if you are feeling like, okay, I, I'm, I'm mentally, I'm, I'm feeling frazzled or I feel just drained and burned out. Um, there's another great book called burnout, how to complete your stress cycle. Um, it's by two sisters. Um, I think they're the Nagasaki's, um, and they talk about the whole, everybody has their own unique stress cycle. And in order to complete your stress cycle, it really means being able to come back to a place where you feel safe, where you feel like you're out of danger. Again, that fight or flight situation. So, you know, back in the day, maybe it was that you were being chased by a bear. We're not being chased by bears anymore. We know where our food is coming from, but we have other things that make us feel like we're in danger. This time in particular, being in a pandemic, people losing their jobs, people not feeling where, you know, their next check is coming from. It's really important that you pay attention to this. You touched on something. I, was, I just had a psychiatrist on the other day, and we were talking about the vagus nerve. And there's actually a theory. It's called polyvagal theory. It was founded by this uh, gentleman, Stephen Progress. And what he was actually saying in layman's terms or for stupid Josh terms is <laughs> that your emotional and mental health will affect that vagus nerve literally with electronic pulses. But that vagus nerve overpowers the parasympathetic uh, nervous system, which is Mm -hmm. your calming nervous system. And so if you don't have that mental or that emotional, you are physically either putting yourself in a fight or flight. If if you're in fight or flight, you don't make sound logical decisions because it overrides that portion of the brain. And then, so there's all these things really connected. So really figuring out that morning routine or meditation. I preach meditation so many times I get now DMs, people DMing me going, would you shut up about meditation already? (laughs) You know, the other thing that I think is interesting is that similar to what you're talking about is people have so much more control over this than they think. Like you can override what your brain is thinking. Um, I remember I wrote an article once and it was, um, how to basically turn fear into excitement. And the, the, again, layman terms was like, your brain doesn't know the difference between when you are excited about something or when you're afraid about something. So if you're afraid of going up and doing public speaking, you can, actually tell yourself, I'm actually really excited. I'm really excited. And then your brain goes, Oh, we're not afraid. We're excited. And so people have so much more control over the thoughts that they're telling their brain and that they start to believe. So I think another big piece of this mental and emotional health is, um, yeah, meditation is a big one. Um, but I also think your, your self-talk, how do you Mm. talk to yourself? How do you pump yourself up? How do you, um, you know, when you are having anxiety or fear, do you turn into it or do you turn away from it? Um, and, and, that is a really big piece of the emotional health. I think that people sometimes, um, they always, it seems like people always want to have like some sort of tangible, actionable thing, which is why I usually say things like the stretching meditation, but at the end of the day, it can be writing down, um, you know, a a self love mantra and putting it where you can see it and then repeating it five times. It can be, you know, finding mindfulness every time Mm -hmm. you walk under a doorway and taking a deep breath, um, breathing in for, for, three and out for three. Um, they have found that all of those, those simple, simple acts are, are just as helpful to calming you and, and yeah. protecting yourself and making you feel safe as the big stuff. Yeah. And for everyone li- listening, I'll let you know my, cause I've done those things and what happens when you have these affirmations or when you have that, uh, trigger to say something good to yourself or whatever, like walking in under a doorway. I haven't heard that, but that's really good. I've heard like each time you touch the fridge, you know, say, yeah. you know, I love yourself. What will happen is the first, for me, 
out of 30, it was probably the first 19 days. It was like, this is so dumb. This is so stupid. I know this isn't true. I know that I'm not good at this. I know that, but I was saying anyway, saying anyway. And then something happens along the way where all of a sudden you feel it when you say it, but you have to push through those awkward times or when you're smiling in the mirror, you go, God, I'm so dumb or I'm so ugly, but still smile, still say it. And it's going to feel weird. It's going to feel awkward. It's not going to feel right because you've told yourself so many negative things for so long. Your bo- your brain can't just go, wait, wait, wait. For 36 years, Josh, you've been telling yourself that you're you're dumb, stupid, and ugly. Now all of a sudden you're, you're saying you're handsome, smart, and you can do anything. I mean, that doesn't jive. So you got to push through those days or those weeks or however long and just keep going, keep going. So that's when I think you go back to the ritual and just continue with that through those 30 days, through those 60 days, you're going to start to see some real benefit, mental and emotional positive effects, but you got to push through it because it sounds weird when we say it, you know? Yeah, I mean, in order to break through that familiar past and your brain is hardwired to things that have happened, right? In order to kind of rewire your brain for the future, you have to start creating a new future for otherwise it loves the past. It wants to go to the past. I interviewed um, some positive psychologists for my book and, and they talked a lot about that, you know, and but as you said, the first 30 days are weird. Um, I actually did that experiment for my book, too, where I wrote the, the self-love mantra and I taped it on my car and I said it for five times before I got out of the car every morning. I, I always tell me, I'm like, nobody hooked me up to a brain machine to tell me if I was better or not. But I, I did feel like I yes. was, had a little bit more pep in my step and confidence is a big piece of that. So, yep. and right now people just have to hold on to as many of those things that they have because you are being thrown, you know, more challenges now than maybe you were, you know, even a few weeks ago. Yeah. I think that works perfect. You touched on that a little bit in your book about kind of silencing that inner critic. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Kind of what do you mean and kind of how do you do that? Because I think, like you said, now's the time where I think that inner critic starts let get let loose a little bit. So we need to wrangle that that uh, beast now before yeah. it gets too bad. I think also just one thing I'll say is that I think the people who struggle the most with an inner critic are usually the people who are high achievers, right? On one hand, Thank your you. inner critic... it happens to us because on one hand your inner critic is trying to act a little bit like a therapist right like you sometimes being hard on yourself is what makes you get up off the couch and go do that thing that maybe somebody else would be like you know I just don't have to do it whatever I'm not going to do it so on one hand inner having an inner critic doesn't have to be a bad thing but what you really do is you have to change the inner critic from being someone who is kind of dumping all over you to being your therapist um and so one of the first things i would say is you know start by loving and accepting your inner critic because like i said like on one hand, it is there to help yeah. you. And, and usually high achievers, because they're hard on themselves, they've gotten that far. So you have to start by loving and accepting. The second thing you want to do is you, in order to break the patterns, you have to observe them. So what is sort of your pattern where your inner critic gets in your way? Um, so for example, for me, I usually would do this thing where I might like fail at something or it might not go the way I wanted it to go. And then I would immediately just say all these negative stuff, stuff to myself. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? And and nobody's meaner to you than you during those times. Yep. Um, so your internal conversation with your inner critic might seem a little um, silly, but you might say, you know, 
inner critic, I love you. I know you're here to help me, but instead of taking on that role, let's take on a coaching role. How can we coach me through this situation versus kind of, um, tell me all the things I did wrong. Um, and it's important that you recognize that your inner critic doesn't all of a sudden become your cheerleader. It has to be a coach because your brain cannot make that pendulum swing so far, you know, from the left to the right. So you can't go from, you know, your number one hater to your number one cheerleader. Your brain just won't believe it. Um, and then the other tips I have for this is see if you can be just a bit kinder. Again, baby steps start by recognizing your pattern, um, and saying something to yourself. And, and, and my, my favorite tip is to name, you know, I named Mm -hmm. mine after a bully, you know, name it after someone where you're like, or after maybe your favorite coach, you know, you could, you could go, I guess, either extreme, but like, so you are able to talk to this person in third, in the third person. Um, a lot of people I know also will journal. So as they're Mm -hmm. having these thoughts, it's really helpful for them to just write everything out that they are thinking and then to go back and write out the, the coaching session for themselves. Uh, again, these are, these are recognizing patterns and then creating new ones. Yeah. Have you ever read the book? I believe the title is my best self or best self. It's by Mike bear. He goes by no, Coach, Coach I Mike feel like Bear. I would like it though. Yeah, he's, I feel like it, Dr. Phil is actually grooming him to do what Oprah kind of did for Dr. Phil because he's now starting to be on the Dr. Phil show quite a bit. And now he just launched his other podcast. But he said exactly what you said about naming the bully. He talks about it in his book where he actually has you draw out that bad person or that, that voice or that inner critic or that bully, draw it out on a piece of paper and then draw out your best self. And so you can kind of differentiate yourself and that distancing that critic is really, really valuable. And the first step, like you said, there is that you have to recognize it. So I think that's where taking those walks in the morning, having that morning ritual, like I said before, meditation, meditation, meditation will help you recognize those thoughts. And then you can kind of attack it in those simple, um, not simple, but those steps that you talked about there, I think it's just so, so crucial. And I actually, this wasn't in my notes, but I love the fact that you said that. I want to get your thoughts. And it sounds like we agree. One of the reasons why I started this podcast, I went through a really bad depression era. And I realized that during that, that despair and that depths of, of darkness, that the only, the reason why I was there was because of that inner critic, because of that bully. And I vowed that it'll spend the rest of my life for as long as I can help as many people through stories like yours and mine realize that the only reason why you get down there or start to go down there is that stuff inside. But I'm, I'm starting to realize that people that have gone through depression or people that are really self-critical, that not everybody, not everybody's like that. Meaning not everybody knows that they're mean to themselves. Not everybody realizes that, you know, you have people that just when we were working four nights a week, come home and drink cocktails or drink wine. And yeah, they're having a great time. You know, all the wives get together and they sit there and it's like, Oh, it's fun. It's champagne, but they're diluting themselves three, three, four nights a week. And I'm not advocating for sobriety or not, or anything like that. I'm saying that I feel like there's a lot of people that aren't truly self-aware and do, and the same thing can be with you go, you go home after work, you just plop down on the TV till nine, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, you watch five hours of TV a day. Then you get up and go to bed. You know, you're not, you're just masking some inner pain, but I don't think they know it. Yeah. Do you think that that's, would you agree in that? Or do you see that since you work with so many people that sometimes they're not aware of it? Or is that just my weird Yeah, I mean, I, no, I definitely think there are kind of two camps. There's the person who 
doesn't know it or is like unwilling to admit that that, you know, that's them because they would be like, no, there's no, if you ask somebody, are you depressed? They'd probably be like, no way am I depressed, you know, yes, but those ones. yeah. So there, there's, you know, certainly there's the people who are in denial and then there are the people who come to a place where they're like, I, I don't want to feel like this anymore. And, and what can I do about it? Um, I think the people who are in denial about it um, and they're masking it in some way, it's, it's you know, anything that is kind of, um, I don't know, like enabling you to be able to ignore something. Yeah. I, I just think at some point those people will come to the conclusion that they want to change something. And, and that's really, I think, where the change, the transformation happens with, self-awareness you know it's kind of like the more information the more knowledge people have i think sometimes that self-awareness isn't necessarily lacking maybe because they want to stay in denial but maybe they just don't have the information maybe they don't know and so yeah. i i do think it's kind of i always think of this example of like um you know, when it comes to like weight loss, like we weren't talking about like calories and sugar. I mean, now there's like every freaking diet you can possibly think sure. of, but like, I don't know if it was always that people lacked the, you know, desire to be healthy or not overweight or whatever, but sometimes they just lacked the information. So I think the more okay. information you get about this stuff, the more you're able to be like, look, I have information. Information helps increase my awareness. Awareness is the first step to kind of that transformation. So I, I hope that podcasts are like yours and stories like yours help people who I don't even know if it's that they're like purposely trying to ignore it. It's just that they, they lack the, the information about it. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I want to, it kind of dovetails a little bit off of this topic here. And I'm not sure whether you personally have dealt with it during this pandemic. So if you want to speak to pre pandemic or during it's fine either way, but I know just speaking, and I'm only speaking from a guy's perspective, so many freaking times our net worth is related to our self-worth. And I know a lot of times that can happen with entrepreneurs just like yourself. You know, you have these with anybody that's been in an entrepreneur uh, background or has started a business knows that there's sometimes these wild swings up and yeah. down, up and down. And so a lot of times your self-worth will be goes with those up and downs, up and downs. So how have you dealt with that? Because I'm sure that your business did not go in a perfect 90 degree straight angle up to the right. I'm sure it went up, down, left, right, went back, went up, yeah. went up, down, left, right. So how have you dealt with that? Because I'm sure that's difficult. Yeah. I mean, I think my first tip is that for anybody who's considering being an entrepreneur, or if you are an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, you'll understand this. Um, it is full of the highest highs and the lowest lows. And those are sometimes in the same hour. And that's a good day. If you're lucky, uh -huh. they're, they're happening in the same hour. Sometimes they're happening minute by minute. Um, it's certainly an emotional roller coaster. And so I, I think that this became extremely apparent to me that I had to separate my self-worth from my net worth because my net worth was changing too often, you know, yeah. and, and it wasn't necessarily like when you have a full-time job, I mean, it's a little different right now. Um, there's certainly a lot of people who maybe thought they had job security that all of a sudden they didn't. But the point being is that, um, I guess in a way that only leads to the point that like nobody knows, you know, you, 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 nobody is a hundred percent secure. And so your net worth definitely can change. 
I think in order to put an end to this thinking, what I have found to be really helpful is to first find examples in your life that are not related to money that make you feel good about yourself. Um, Share those moments with your friends, your family, and and write them down. The goal is really to start associating your self-worth with feelings and experiences that deserve it um, and nothing to do with your bank account. So again, like just as an actionable tip, uh, today, write down five things that make you feel good about yourself that have nothing to do with money. Um, once you identify those experiences, um, that support, you know, your new mindset, I think it's really important to seek out related opportunities that you can practice more frequently around that. So if you find those five things and let's say one of them is volunteering. So for me, one of the things that makes me feel really good, um, is I volunteer to foster dogs uh, from local shelters here in LA. Um, usually the high kill shelters that makes me feel really good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, it makes me feel really Really good. It's something that has nothing to do with money. I mean, certainly animals are a good place to start with this because yeah. they do not care how much money you have. Um, and then I try to find more opportunities related to that. The other thing I would do is make sure that you are spending time with people. Your inner circle is people who are not just, you know, everybody has that friend who's like always talking about money, always talking yeah. about, you know, ordering things online and how much their salary is and, and asking you to the expense of dinner. It's like, it feels like everything has to do with money money, money. Yes. Identify those people and maybe say, Hey, look, I, I love hanging out with you, but you know, I, I really need to put some boundaries in place with this. Or I have a friend where, um, every time she wanted to get together, she always wanted to get together at this place called Soho house. I don't know if you've ever been to one, but like their expense, like just showing up is $16 for right. parking. And I finally had to say to her, like, I really enjoy hanging out with you and having the occasional happy hour. But you know, Soho house is, 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 is expensive. It's $16 just to go there to park. Could we find something that is, um, and I, I was really careful to not use the words like I can't afford that. I was always really careful to use the words like I don't want to do that. I want to have an experience with you that doesn't start with a $16 valet parking situation. Um, and part of that is, is again, like recognizing, what works for you and what doesn't like that is a little bit of a trigger for my Mm -hmm. net worth to feel like I go to these places and they're, you know, and, and you and I both know, like part of it is people are always going to put on that persona. So yes, you can't control what other people are doing. You can only control what you're doing. Um, and then the other last thing I would say is create, um, you know, a healthy money mantra again, like we talked about kind of the self love and the negative self talk, like include money into that mantra. You know, I will not let my net worth define my self worth. You could take something as simple as that. So I, I totally understand. And there's a, a, really good reasons why we are all wired like this. Um, I always think about the fact that every article when it, or at least in my space, when it comes to like negotiating a raise, they'll be like, ask for what you're worth. I never say that. I will always rephrase it to say, it's not about what you're worth. It's your market value because your worth as a human is already, you know, priceless. priceless. There, yeah. there is no price on that. So also be really thoughtful about how you are wording things. But if you feel this way, I would just point out that we were all kind of trained to feel this way based on the, 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 the messaging that we get consistently. What are you worth? Ask for your worth. Um, 
people talk like sharing their money. I think about, you know, when people started doing a lot of, especially in the entrepreneurial world where they started sharing like their monthly income reports. Um, I know they were doing it from a place to be helpful and, 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 you know, those are just really slippery, um, topics I think for people where it's like, Hey, sometimes seeing how much someone else is making automatically makes me feel like I'm not good enough, but that's not about you're saying more about how you feel about yourself than you are about them and their income report. So just yeah. again, like rec- truly recognizing what, what works for you. Yeah. I think you said something good and kind of circles back to kind of what we talked about or what we started the podcast with is if you have, if you are an entrepreneur or if you are a, a nine to fiver and you are having these ups and downs and these big swings of net worth or, or business connected to your self-worth that if you stop and just take five minutes and literally put your hand over your heart and think about something that you're grateful for. Every single time I I do this, and it's gotta be something that you emotionally are tied to. For me, I picture myself back on the beach in Dominican Republic when I was getting married to my wife. It'll virtually every single time relax me. It'll make me feel so grateful. Oftentimes a tear will come to my eye filled with happiness. But what you're doing and there's a great neurologist that's written a ton of books called, uh, his name's Dr. Amen, and he says the best logical decision that you can make is when your heartbeat and your brainwaves are literally aligned. And yeah. by d- putting your hand over your heart physically, thinking about two to three things that you're really grateful for that are emotionally tied, tied to, and then after that five minutes, after those breaths and after that, those heartbeats have co-aligned or been in line with the brain waves, then go attack the business issue and you're going to make yeah. a better sound decision. But it all starts with that mental and emotional health and awareness and control. Otherwise your business is going to fall apart no matter what, because you're going to end up falling apart. Now on to the nitty gritty. So now on to the ones and zeros, the logistical things. So you out of anybody have the utmost um, knowledge and have been through this, you know, you're a recruiter, you worked at Hulu. Now you have, now you're into the entrepreneurship. Like I said, you've got a podcast, you got a book. What should somebody be doing right now in this pandemic to prepare to either look for a job or just in case, or would you tell somebody like, Hey, you should be up, upping your resume. You should be sprucing up your LinkedIn. Should you be doing that now? Should you not be doing that now? What should somebody be doing? Because we don't really know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think before you start up, you know, updating your resume and, 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 you know, optimizing your LinkedIn profile, I think it's really important to take some time for some self-reflection. So, uh, which here we're in a unique position because a lot of people just got laid off. A lot of companies are on a hiring freeze. And so maybe for the first time ever, we're in this, a little bit of this holding pattern where you have the time to do what I'm about to explain without feeling guilty, like you're wasting time or, um, you know, everybody else in front of you is moving forward and you're not because everybody is in this situation right now where, um, this thing just all like all of a sudden happened to them. So I think, um, what I have always seen as being the most successful with a job search is when you know what it is that you want. So I always tell the story of when I worked at Hulu, I went to, um, 
South by Southwest and we were doing some recruiting there and some guy came to our table and said, oh, Hulu, um, what are you guys looking for? And we said, well, what are you looking for? Perhaps we have a role open. And that's what you have to understand. Companies are not hiring people so that they can give you uh, a salary and, and benefits. We're hiring you because we have a problem and we need someone to solve it, right? So it's not about what are we looking for? It's what are you looking for and how can you add value to our organization and help fix our problem? Yeah. So you have to be really clear about what are your strengths? What are your skills? What expertise do you have? How do you bring value to an organization? Um, it's, you know, a lot of people will be like, well, I want to do yada, yada. I'm like, why do you want to do that? Well, I'm not really sure. You know, you have to have some ability to answer the question of why, um, before I was a recruiter at Hulu, I was an administrative assistant for a dental school. I didn't have any recruiting experience, but the way I learned about recruiting and specifically the fact that I wanted to be a tech recruiter and I wanted to work for an early stage um, tech slash entertainment company was because I went out and I had over 30 informational interviews with recruiters in a variety of industries and just learned what do you do all day? What is it like to be in your job? What do you like about your job? What are the challenges? Um, what types are, uh, of different recruitment jobs are out there? Yeah, it took me a long time. It took me nine months, but um, now that's because I was also working full time. So people have the ability to maybe step back and say, what, what have I done in my last job that's given me the most energy? Where have I been the most successful? Mm-hmm. Um, you could also do something, I talk about it in the book called a listening tour, where you could kind of write down, here's what I like, or here's what gives me the most energy. Here's where I've been successful. Would you be willing to give me 20 minutes of your time and start with your immediate network and maybe people you've worked with who know you and ask them if they'll give you 20 minutes of their time where you can say, hey, I just wanted to share. Here's what I'm thinking. What, what do you think would be a good role for me? Um, what kind of companies could you see me at? So you can start there with your listening tour. You can start with that self-reflection. And then part two, is after you kind of have a better idea of maybe what you want, maybe start by having informational interviews with people in either those roles or those companies that really appeal to you. The goal with all of this isn't necessarily to apply to a job right this second. It's not even necessarily to update your resume and your LinkedIn. The goal is to really truly be able to understand what do you want and why. Once you know that information, now you can tailor, you can create an amazing resume and you can tailor it for the companies and the jobs that you're applying for. You can get really clear on, I always call them your target companies. So we have this phrase in recruiting called spray and pray. It's where you spray your resume everywhere and you pray that someone's going to pick it up. They will not pick it up. Um, They do not want to take the chance on somebody. And right now they absolutely don't have to. The whole employment market just switched. It used to be you know, the market was all about the employees. We had all the choice. Guess what? In a few days, it's completely switched. And now it's an employer's market. So that means that, um, and I had this experience when I went to, to Hulu, I wasn't the most experienced candidate that they, um, interviewed, but I was definitely the person who knew exactly why I was applying for the role, exactly how I had transferable skills that could be great for this role. And I wanted it more than anybody. And that is going to be incredibly important to recruiters right now that they are hiring not just the people who have the skill sets, the p- person who can communicate how their transferable skills work, but also the person who wants it. Um, yeah. So I think the first thing people need to do is kind of that self-reflection, that listening tour, informational interviews. Step two is definitely polishing your materials. You want to have an amazing resume. Make sure that it's uh, formatted in a way that's aesthetically pleasing and easy to read. Mm-hmm. Um, as recruiters, we are looking at 
hundreds of resumes. And I will tell you immediately, I spent about less than five seconds on a resume. I could so very quickly say, yay, nay, yay, nay, yay, nay. And then I would only look at the yays. Part of that is that recruiters work for a hiring manager. So I want to bring the best resumes to that hiring manager because it makes me look good at my job. So, you know, everyone always wants to blame the recruiters, but it's like, they have a boss too. So make it easy for them to recognize, oh, this person's perfect for the job. You want to make the recruiter's job really easy to put you in the yes pile. On the, on the resume, can you give me two yays to do and two nays? So you, you see these resumes, what are two Mm -hmm. things that everybody should do? And what are two things that you see a lot that please stop freaking doing that? Yeah. Um, I'll start with the nays because I have a long list of those. Um, No photos, please. Um, I do not want it to be size eight font and three pages. One, maximum two pages. Like, please. I don't even really like two pages, but I've I've softened my view on that lately. But I truly do not want it to be long. Um, The other thing is to make it easy for me to find what I'm looking for. So that means maybe having a two-column resume where on one column you have your experience and then the other column, you talk about, you list out your the software that you have expertise with, your skills. Um, you know, make it again like maybe you've worked with freelance clients. Like, tell me the name of the clients. That's going to mean a lot to me. I don't want to hunt and peck. I won't. That's right. that's the bottom line. I will yeah. not hunt and peck. Um, for the yays. Uh, it's really important that you spend time formatting your resume. There are, you don't have to be a designer. Um, we have resume templates on Career Contessa. We have a resume course that teaches you how to make over your resume in 24 hours with templates and advice. You can go on Etsy. Uh, Microsoft Word now has amazing resume templates. If you just start with a basic Microsoft Word doc times New Roman 12, I'm, I'm bored. I'm not going to pay attention. It's not aesthetically pleasing. Mm. Um, and the example I always give is that if you went to somebody's website and it was really ugly, you would be like, I'm not probably going to buy from this brand because quality is represented in design. Um, so that's a big, big, big one. Um, the other thing that I really like, so there's two types of resumes you can have a functional resume or a chronological resume. I kind of like it when I see people mixing both because the chronological order does sort of matter, but let's say your job, um, Maybe you've been an entrepreneur or let me use a different example. Maybe you work in finance right now and you worked in marketing before and you want to go back to marketing. Um, you want to put the most important information up at the top of your resume. So what I would do is even though your marketing job isn't chronologically the thing that should be up at the top, you could create a header that says marketing experience and put all the experience that you had related to marketing because that, you know, is relevant to me mm-hmm. for the job you're applying for. So put your most important information up at the top. Um, it's okay if it's not perfectly chronological, but whatever you do, do not lie. Do not do the thing where you're like, I worked there from 2018 to 2019, but really you worked there in December and January. You know, like give yeah. me the months. Don't make me hunt and peck. And if I find a discrepancy and it, it feels like you were trying to be fishy about it, there are a lot okay. of recruiters that will just be like, no way. I, sure. I, you know, so, so being honest, if you got let go, put that on your resume, say it in, you know, a one overview description or, you know, sentence under the job title. Like I was let go. We're pretty much very forgiving and understanding. We just, we're not going to hunt and peck for the story. So gotcha. tell us the story. So you're telling me that I need to take off all my PhDs from Harvard, MIT and Yale that I put on there? No, okay. you can, okay. you can definitely it. keep those. <laughs> um, you know, you said something there. I think once again, it goes back to what's inside your head and what's inside your heart. 
you said, you know, you have to know what you want. And then let me know if you feel the same way about this thought process. I always think when you're going to go in there for a job, you are not going in there asking for a job. It is a mutual relationship, meaning you have to connect with that company and they have to connect with you. And I am not working for you. I am renting out my skills to help your company 10x or, or 5x or 100x grow. So this is a mutual relationship. And just like with a significant other, nobody wants somebody that's just falling all over their feet. That Those relationships don't last. But yeah. the ones that are mutual, 50-50 in it. And if you go in with, hey, this is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I can offer. But at the same time, not in these maybe actual verbiage, what can you offer me and have this be a mutual and that energy that you're going to give off is going to be exponentially better than if you go in there going, if I don't get this job, I am screwed because they can yeah. see that and you can smell that a mile away because recruiters, hiring managers, you see a hundred people a day, you know, those people that are terrified and if they're terrified in that interview, are they going to be terrified while they're on the job. So yeah, it's like dating the person who's desperately oozing. I, mm. I want a date, you know, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't go very well. Um, I always tell people too that, so we used to always do like team interviews at Hulu. So you would come in and you would meet with like four or five, six, seven people. And then afterwards, in the end of the day, the recruiter would bring everybody into a room and we would talk about the candidates and we would always try to do as many candidates in a day. So everything was fresh. The candidates who stand out, who they can actually remember, are the people that they have interesting conversations with. They have interesting conversations with those people because that person is interviewing you as much as you're interviewing them. Yes. They're asking interesting questions. They're, they're showing off through their questions how much they prepared, how detail-oriented they are. They remember those. You don't want to be the person in those you know reviews where they're like, who was the first person we met with? She, yeah. I think she was wearing a red shirt. Like you don't want to be that person. You want to be the person when they're like, Oh, I loved the person who, you know, grew up in Colorado and she moved here and she took on coding skills all on her own. And she made her own website. Like you want yep. them to be interested in the story you're telling, but also the story you're telling is also through listening and asking really good questions. If you have a 30 minute interview with somebody and you're not getting further than the first question, which is, um, tell me about yourself, then you've already lost it. You, you, yeah. You've lost the job because instead of having a 30 minute conversation where you guys talk about five different things, you've talked about one thing. Um, and it's, it's very hard to stand out like that. Yeah. So while we're on this yays and nays, um, you know, LinkedIn is really, emerged over these past year or eight months or whatnot as a real viable, it almost looks like Facebook, like a social yeah. network <laughs> type of thing. But I know that you have a lot of knowledge on this. So since everybody is home and after they do the resume, do those fantastic things that you said uh, to spruce up their resume, what should they do with LinkedIn? Because it's a real viable option. And I mm -hmm. think that, I mean, I don't know, I've never been in the hiring field, but i bet that's where people go first to look for people versus, you know, opening the mail, looking for a resume. So what can, <laughs> what are some do's and don'ts of maybe a LinkedIn profile since people are at home and they can do it while they're now? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the first thing you should know is that recruiters are absolutely using LinkedIn. It okay. is um, a tool. There's a tool called LinkedIn Recruiter that we companies mm -hmm. pay a lot mm -hmm. of money to access. And it allows us to search through 
those 100 million plus whatever, however many profiles are on there allows us to search through them. And literally we get to say, here are the keywords of who I'm looking for. Now give me the profiles of the people who match it. So it's really important that you understand first that LinkedIn works like an algorithm, kind of like the way Google search works, right? You type in your keywords and then Google says, here are all the things that are relevant. Um, And here are the people who probably most closely match your search. Well, LinkedIn works really similarly. So what you need to do is make sure that you have keywords throughout your profile. Um, So for example, if you, and and the places that the the profile or the algorithm searches for these keywords are your headline, um, your summary. So a lot of people hate the summary. They think it doesn't matter. It absolutely matters. I think it allows you to have 2000 characters that's 2000 opportunities to have keywords. Mm, Um, Then it searches through your experience and also LinkedIn loves your skills section. So make sure you're filling that out. So the first thing I usually see is that people just don't take LinkedIn very seriously. The second thing I see is that they just will fill out the bare minimum. And so they're missing all these opportunities to really further explain what they did and and what they, you know, their accomplishments there and and put those keywords in. The other thing I would say, you know, some simple low hanging fruit is uh, make sure that your photo is professional, you know, and and up to date. Um, Some other items is in your summary, describe, you know, who you are and what you do. If you have um, examples of your work, I mean, we are in a visual world, like Mm -hmm. look at the popularity of Instagram and and Pinterest and all these things. If you have visuals that can showcase your work, put them in there. Um, If you have your own portfolio website, link it there. the other thing that I really like is when people do have, um, in their experience, you know, you can kind of write a description of what you did there, a little overview, and then give me your bullet points as accomplishments. So, oh, cool. Show- you know, showing up to work every day, I always give this example of, you know, responsibilities versus accomplishments. My responsibility as an administrative assistant was to answer the phone. My accomplishment was that I was able to answer over a hundred phone calls a day and field them into the right place so they were mitigated within 24 to 48 hours. Yeah. Totally different, right? One's a responsibility, one is an accomplishment. Don't tell us your responsibilities. We, we, that's awesome. You got paid to show up and do that thing. Cool. But what did you accomplish? What, what, and give me something tangible and quantitative and however more detail you can get and you will stand out from so many more people. I promise. Yeah, I can uh, attest to that. I've been in upper level management before the podcast for the majority of my life. So I've hired somewhere between 500,000 people in my lifetime. And I can tell you there's a great acronym. It's called SAR, S-A-R. What's the situation? What's the action that you took? And then what's the result that you got out of it? Because that's yeah. let me know that you can solve a problem. You solved the problem, you took an action, and you got a good positive result out of that. So I can attest to that. Well, I know we're kind of closing in on time, but before we do that, I just have two more questions for you. But before I get to those, where can everybody find you? Like I said, you got a laundry list, you got a lot of arrows in your quiver. So uh, what do you got going on? And what's all that jazz? Yeah. So the best place to go is to our website, which is www.careercontessa.com. From Career Contessa, you can um, learn more about our podcast, which is the females. We have daily articles, job postings. We have a salary database, all that good stuff. Um, The best place to find me is probably on LinkedIn. So just search my name on LinkedIn. Um, And then we're also pretty active on our Instagram, which is at Career Contessa. I mean, we're at Career Contessa on every social channel. Um, And then my book is called Power Moves, and it's coming out on May 19th, and it can be found pretty much wherever books are sold. 
Nice. Yeah. And I actually, I got to give kudos to you and your team on your, your website. It's really, really easy to navigate and you answer a lot of questions straight to the point. You know, there's a whole spot on there that gives exact salaries of certain jobs on there. So when it's, I don't think it's that taboo anymore, but previously it was a little bit taboo, but you're like, Hey, this is what so-and-so makes in this job in this area. So, um, kudos to you and your team. Cause that's just a really nice, easy flow of that website. So highly recommend last two questions. So in your early days of administrative assistant and building a business, what was a better help mate wine or the blog cupcakes and cashmere? Well, Cupcakes and Cashmere, because I was their uh, career writer. So I was like always on there. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> but in all, in all seriousness, just the last question I have for you. So how do you learn, build your self-worth? Yeah. So for me, I mean, it's a, it's a day by day practice, but I think the way I do it is really having that self-love mantra that includes, um, you know, something new and different every day. And then it's part of my morning rituals. I repeat it five times when I come into the office. I like, I mean, I'm, I sound like a weirdo, like I'm a witch. I light my candle and I say my spell, but you know what? Yeah. It works. And, um, that's, that's for me, at least what I'm clean to today. It might change in the future. And if I take a day off or forget to do it, it's okay. I can always go back tomorrow and do it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And obviously you're, rituals work because you're a CEO, you're an author, you're a blogger, you're a podcaster. But now that we've got to share a little bit more time together, you know, you have a very sunny energy and that brightens people's <laughs> day through our um, interview here or chat here and through some of your other works. It having that self-love and that, that emotional health, it shows and it radiates through because you're a joy to, joy to talk to and a joy, joy oh, to listen you. to. So <laughs> once again, thank you for coming on the Overcoming You podcast. I really do appreciate it. And I think that's it. Thanks for having me. You got it. Remember, everybody, be kind to yourself.